الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه اللهم صل على محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين اللهم لا سهل الا ما جعلته سهلا وانت تجعل الهزم اذا شئت سهلا اللهم اعين على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب العالمين السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته Right, so then, folks, Allah khair. One thing that I really, um, uh, I felt, subhanAllah, I mean, you know, you just, uh, you take everything for granted, and so it completely slipped my mind. Um, and that is, of, of course, you guys know here, but online, the people should also know that we are here as guests of I Muslim. And um, this, I mean, obviously, we've known and we've had a good uh, relationship with I Muslim. For, uh, for a while now, alhamdulillah, and it's something which I support personally and uh, I will continue to support um, with respect to funding and with respect to promoting because it's great work that you guys do here and uh, I'm very proud to be associated uh, with iMuslim and also uh, Shazli himself as an instructor and as a teacher is an excellent brother, someone I can vouch for personally and of course he was one of our students at uh, I mean, regularly at Al-Maghrib seminars and also at Ilm Summit as well. He's not from the basic people, mashallah. He's very well qualified. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to continue to give him tawfiq. And to all of the I Muslim team and the instructors team and the student body as well. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses this building. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, brings some lucky guy, fortunate guy, to come in and put some good money into this uh, institution so that uh, he or she... You never know, you never know, can take the benefit of all these people uh, studying. And I was speaking to Shazli earlier on that, you know, subhanAllah, it is essential for all aspects. I mean, you're looking at a Muslim country, a Muslim country which is a practicing Muslim country as opposed to like a Kazakhstan or in, or in Egypt, right? Okay, right? Where the government support you know, proper people, independent thinking, practicing, and no oppression, this is what we call a quality practicing country, which we're very, very proud of. At the same time, the Muslims recognize that there needs to be independent dawah streams. I don't mean money streams, I mean dawah streams. Independence, for me, is the single most important aspect of the dawah, in my personal opinion. Independence, being able to be able to speak your message freely, Fearing no one except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, establishing yourself upon the truth and calling the people to khair without any uh, 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 interest or without any ulterior motives. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I found in my experience and my teacher's experience, he taught me this from the very, very early days. Very early days. I'm saying back then, when we started studying, we were studying at a time where the da'wah was starting to kick off and people were willing to put money in. Lots of money. And paying for people to go abroad and study and paying for people to do this and that. And I remember at that beginning time, I, saw, I told my teacher that this is going to make things so much easier for me and my family. Take uh, accommodation abroad, take a, a stipend, a scholarship basically and so on. And my sheikh told me not to do it. He said that work harder, sacrifice your time, live less, whatever, quality, whatever. But maintain your independence. Maintain your independence. And I look at him, and that's exactly what he did. Those who are watching, uh, those who are watching um, online, will of course, and those in Manchester specifically, will know very much. I'm talking about Sheikh Ihlan. I'm very much talking about uh, his own approach. And of course, when he did, um, 
when he came to the UK, he started off very, very early at the Markaz Bukhari, which is our small Muslim center. But as I was telling Shazli, ours is about as big as half of the size of the office. Uh, this is like about 100 times bigger. But it's a place which Allah has put Barakah in. It's a place that we can call our own. It's free from any affiliation. That doesn't mean we don't work with everyone, of course. Yeah? And there's a big difference between being uni- uh, having unity and working with people and being able to set, have something of your own and not have to beg and change your message and your tone because of the need for others. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in this incredible way, we have no donors or anything like that. Just again, just like I'm Muslim, people, the standard people, just putting a little bit in every single month is keeping the da'wah going. So much khair has come from that center. It's unbelievable. Honestly, this place is it's, it's a, it's above a shop. And it's on a stretch of road, which is all nightclubs, cafes, bars, this, that. It's like about 15 of them, all. And then upstairs, when you go above one takeaway, there's us and our library and our musalla, and we do our things there and everything. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts the barakah wherever He wishes, and He supports it. So, um, I'm a big fan of independent kind of movements and and uh, those which are independent movements, yani strictly proud of who they are, but at the same time, of course, being very wide, uh, uh, broad vision, and being very kind of easygoing and working with everyone, uh, making sure that the general good is achieved. And the reason why I like this is because that wouldn't be the obvious thing that you think of in a Muslim country where there's official da'wah, where there's official ulama, councils, and you'd think it's all dealt with. But the irony, of course, and as, as, an, as a senior Al-Maghrib instructor and part of the shura, when we're always thinking about what happens next, what happens next, you may be thinking that it's all about going into the West and finding more cities in the West. Actually, I want to say to you that in the East, in the Muslim side of the world, okay, the Middle East, Asia, Far East Asia, and so on, the need is as much the same. I won't say if not more, because that's an insult, but the same, definitely. Because people live in an Islamic environment, they become so complacent. And they move into this very kind of automatic, you know, they're just on autopilot. And I take you back to the very first lesson, which you'll find on the forums. Um, The very first lesson that uh, we used to inspire us to start this class was that, you know what it is? We need something every week, at least from a study point of view, to kick us out of our autopilot. Okay? And when you're thinking, and, and, and those who attended Protect This House... You will remember my big issues on certain aspects of life, especially schooling. That when you send your child to a school that puts you on autopilot, you know that you've made the worst decision ever. And that's why Islamic schools are not my immediate choice for children. Because unfortunately, whilst you have so many benefits, what happens is that we start to wholesale outsource the data. Wholesale outsource the tarbiyah process. We start to then do things that we enjoy more. We start to relax more and we think, ah, oh, they'll cover it in school. Ah, oh, their teachers teaching them that. Ah, oh, you know what I'm saying? And what we're missing out on then is the ability to make sure that we're spotting problems when they're developing. And no Islamic school is free of any uh, problems. People who think that nothing happens in Islamic school, they're, they're very, you know, they're, they're, they're sadly misguided. All of the ills of society that we talk about with respect to Western or kind of, you know, more kind of... Uh, 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 Yani, uh, questionable morality and ethics and, and that kind of kind of uh, approach to life and schooling. If you think the problems are only there, we have uh, problems which are just the same, maybe even worse, and also more shocking because we don't expect it from our side. And it's very, very important that the uh, 
the key tools to success don't change from neither religion, neither culture, neither time. It's always the same solution. And that is parental involvement with their children, making sure that you are part of their lives and you are bringing them up on a personal basis. You cannot outsource the bringing up of a child. You know, and we're living in a time where, of course, going back to what we mentioned in the previous session, where we have a society which is now pushing women out further and further. This is not just some kind of informal side thing. This is very well planned. It's in order to increase productivity. It's in order to change the role of women. It's in, and also it has to be supported by a societal structure change. So that's why you have tax breaks increasing for home health, for example. Child minding services in the UK and the West. Any money that you spend on child minding, for example, is tax... Uh, uh, um, yeah, you can tax deductible as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a basis just when it comes to taxation. Or in other ways, financially, it's actually quite fine for you to make that decision and you'll benefit, which is ridiculous. It's almost like they want the parents out and they want other people in, which of course they don't because they're recognizing now just how expensive this is costing them from through the broken households, through the cost of social care now, and having to deal with all the societal problems and create new orders, anti-societal, anti-society break, whatever, whatever ASBO stands for, I've forgotten now, anti-social blocking order or banning order or something. And just the general breakdown of society, the cost of dealing with that is huge. And I want to say to you that maybe it hasn't become so developed in the Muslim lands, but it will. It will. Societal problems affect everyone. Crime is everywhere. And uh, families do fall apart. And so it is really important that even in Muslim countries where everything is nice and you hear the adhan and everyone's wearing hijab and beards, and, you know that you don't secularize your religion and start to take your foot off the gas. It's very important that you keep yourself motivated. And independent movements do that. Dawah does that. Classes do that. And it's important that you maintain your your integrity. Your integrity in, in doing that. So, Jazawala uh, khair to I Muslim, to Shazdi, to Al Maghrib, Ihsan for putting this together as well. All the volunteers. You guys, you know, uh, are close to me. I don't need to keep repeating that. But uh, it just, you know, it needs to be said. Um, this session then, inshallah, the text is page, uh, well we mentioned, we kind of finished, didn't we? No, we didn't finish. I just want to mention one, one more thing. So, the page uh, two, page two of the text, it says, whatever it does, because for some reason... For some bizarre reason, my page two is gone missing. <coughs> yep, it's definitely gone missing. You know what? Hold on, sorry, here it is, page one. Page two. Yeah, so page two, Imam al-Hajawi alayhi rahmatullah, he says in Zad al-Mustaqniya, during minor ritual impurity, one can wipe over, number one, leather socks, thick socks, and anything similar to them. Number two, a man's turban, which loops under the neck or possessing tails. And number three, um, female headscarves, which wrap around the neck. Okay, that, we're just going to finish off that wrap around the neck uh, statement. So we talked about the scarves, we talked about what they are. We basically concluded that it is permissible for a woman to wipe over her headscarf, and that's fine, but 
um, in principle, the evidences have not come in her, in her matter, in her favor, to, to establish it specifically. So in the absence of a clear nos, there's a difference, you see, when you're making an evidence, when we say, but there's a nos, when we say that, that's like saying, but there's a hadith, but there's a, an ayah, meaning there's a divine text. That's a certain strength. When we say, hey, but there's qiyas, it's not the same, you know what I'm saying? All right? I'm saying to that person, oh, but it's established by analogy. You think of it like this and then compare it like, you know, that's not the same strength. And that's why, of course, when it comes to the evidences in Quran and Sunnah, it's Quran first, it's Sunnah second, and then third is Ijma'a, yeah, consensus of the companions. And then fourth, according to some, is Qiyas. It's a tool right down the list. It's not like you know, primary evidence, you know what I'm saying? So uh, when it comes to the actual wiping over of the, uh, uh, the, the Khimar for the woman, it's not clearly, authentically well established. And for that reason, that reason alone, we generally hold off unless there's a reason. And if there's a need, especially if you're outside, that's a good enough need. You need to do something quick, and then that's a good enough need. Right? People were talking, we, we mentioned earlier on, what, what are you thinking, taking off your hijab? What about your washing your hands? Well, maybe my response to that, if someone said to me that, so why are you allowing them to wipe over their heads? They have to uncover their arms anyway. Are you going to allow them to wipe over their arms? You know, like that, yeah? So the answer is no, we're not. They have to wash their arms. But maybe they go into the bathroom and because being in the corporate world and working world, they've only got five minutes, for example, to do the wudu and the salah, right? Well, wiping over the hijab is going to save at least 30 seconds right there. And 30 seconds, if you know if you've done fiqh salah with me, yeah? And you've got the AE emergency prayer, 30 seconds is two raka'ah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> huh? <laughs> when push comes to shove, you know, we need to knock it out. And 30 seconds is, is, is the whole game right there, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so, no, we allow it. If there's a need, inshallah, if there's a need, it can happen. Um, we just wanted to talk about then the Hanbali position. They put the condition on the women's scarf like they put the condition on the male scarf, uh, the male uh, turban. What are those two conditions? Need to end in the neck and have some kind of tail. I.e., it needs to really resemble the ones that they used to have back in the day and it needs to really have some difficulty in removing it. So likewise, the Hanbalis are not going to allow the women to get away with that either. They're also saying, well, she can wipe over the headscarf as long as it, it is mudaratin hin. It is clearly um, wrapped around the neck in a way which is going to need some kind of taking off and, you know, needs got some kind of mashakta got some kind of difficulty and and Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen he doesn't actually comment on this statement itself he just accepts it as it is and there's a reason for that what was the reason for that? the reason is simple because a khimar wouldn't be a khimar unless it was covering underneath the chin do you understand what I'm saying? Then I don't even know what it is. I'm just trying to think. I mean, I'm not by any means am I an expert on women's dress, but is it possible to have something which is covering the lower part but not touch the head? Imagine, I'm just thinking out loud. You got your hijab. Now take your hijab and bring it down. So that this part doesn't change, this part doesn't change, this part doesn't change, this part doesn't change, and it's kind of here somewhere. And then, 
you've got like a dupatta you know right now imagine you got your dupatta and you get that and you put on your head right and you get it and you tie it like that so what do we have now you have like a bandana on top, correct? You got like a bandana thing going down at the top, yeah? And it's got, it's like a bandana flex there, and then it's got some kind of next kind of behavior going on down there. But from the front, it's done the job, right? I think. So what I mean is, that, do, do, you know, via all that kind of mental behavior, you've created something which actually, if you look at it, this is covered... <coughs> that's covered, this is covered, everything's covered but obviously if you look closer then there's something else happening, there's like two, three things going down so my question is this right the rules of hijab might have been dealt with meaning neck not showing chin not, uh, uh, neck not throat neck, neck all that covered, everything else covered hair's covered so the hijab concept is covered but did you wear a khimar that's the question is a khimar a khimar when it's worn as a bandana and using another piece of cloth to cover the parts that a khimar normally would? That's the question I'm asking. My, uh, my idea, my belief is that no, it's not. It's just a couple of cloths which you dealt with and you're fine to go out, that's fine. But that's not a khimar on your head. And for that reason, the reason I'm making this point is that we're saying, why didn't the Sheikh Uthameen question this condition that it's got to come underneath the neck, I think because he cannot imagine a khimar yani, not being underneath the neck. It's only because we're kind of freaked out, we can. Because we've seen all that behavior. You know, that they call it Spanish hijabs and all that kind of nonsense, right? You've seen that, right? They literally just kind of, just, just like a hair thing. And the ears and the neck and whatever, which is, I, I want you to know, with my dearest love and respect to all the Spanish sisters, yeah, and and to all of the other sisters who kind of bust those ones as well, yeah, that's not a hijab, that's not a hijab, it's a nice, I'm sure it's a nice thing for your hair and that's great, yeah, but it's not a hijab and it's not fulfilling the rules of a hijab and it's not a khimar. So I want to say to you, the reason why Shekhar Thameen doesn't mention anything here is because actually it's not possible to think about something which doesn't come and cover this area. Now, Shekhar Thameen asks another question, he goes, alright, that's fine. So, khimar is khimar, that's what it is. What about the rules on actually, um, we mentioned this briefly last week, or the, the, the previous session before that, two sessions ago. When it comes to wiping over socks, it is essential to get the, the timing right to the second, yeah? literally. There's a specific start time, a specific end time, you've got to put it on in a certain state, etc., etc. So, question. What about for the uh, turban and the khimar? You're wiping over a part which is also an obligatory part of the body to wipe over. So surely there should be some kind of time aspect. Sheikh Uthameen goes, Fihi khilaf. There's a difference of opinion in this issue. He goes, Al-Madhab annahu yushtarat. The Hanbali Madhab actually does make it a condition that one does have to Put it on after purification, after making wudu, like you would the sock, yeah? You can't just, for example, you know, wake up out of bed 
I'm just giving you an example. You wake up and you say, oh, I can't bother wash my feet. Put socks on, yeah? <laughs> right? And then just go into make wudu. You know, make wudu and then wipe over the socks, yeah? Please tell me you know that much, Yanni, right? Yeah? So you know that we have to go and make wudu first and then put the socks on afterwards. So likewise, they're saying that not only uh, when you're wiping over the turban or the khimar, the two conditions that are, are exist for the wiping of the socks also exist. Meaning that you have to have purification beforehand. And two, that the length of time you wipe over it is the same as 24 hours if you're at home, 72 hours if you're a traveler. Does that make sense? Um, and this is the position of the, this is the official position of the Hanbali Madhab. Other ulama said that no, this is not a condition because it is not of, not established from the Prophet ﷺ that he gave it a time. Right? He talked about wiping over the hoofs and he gave us a time limit. He told us to wipe over the amain and uh, the the khimar and he didn't mention a time limit. So the two things are different. One has been given a time limit and the other one hasn't been given a time limit as well. And also, second reason why the ulama said it's not a condition is they said that the, the limb itself is a khaf than the limb down there. The limb that we are dealing with when we wipe off our socks is the foot and the washing of the foot. And its rules are pretty strict. Whereas the rule for wiping is what? Is dealing with a limb that at best needs to be wiped. And even in its wiping, we mentioned in the previous session, has a number of concessions almost, right? And so therefore it is less prioritized and less serious, is the word I'm looking for, less serious to to clean, to do the harder to, than the, the, the feet themselves. And so therefore, the issue is more easy when it comes to issues of time and, <coughs> and limits and so on. <coughs> um, basically, Sheikh Uthameen says, we can't make an aqiyas between the khuf and the term. That's his point. Or the khuf and the khimar. Yes, they're wiped over, but that's the end of it. There's no further yani, uh, 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 analogies to be uh, made. So therefore, the position of Sheikh Uthameen, this is also the position of Imam al-Shawkani, which he narrates in the Nail al-Awtar, as he says here, and a number of the scholars, um, I know for a fact that one of those scholars was Ibn Hazm. I know for a fact that Ibn Hazm was one of them, al-Shawkani from the, from the, the ulama as well. Certainly, uh, my position and certainly the, the class position is that there is no length of time or time limit when it comes to wiping over the turban or the khimar, meaning that it can have it could have gone on at any time. So actually, what could you know the example I gave of putting your socks on and going to the bathroom? Yeah, so that can't happen. But what could happen is you waking up and you going for your hijab for whatever reason, putting your hijab on, and then going to the water and then or going out or whatever and making wudu and actually wiping over the khimar. That would be acceptable. That's the whole point that we're trying to make. It doesn't come under the same principle of the khuf. And you don't need to then say, after 24 hours, I can't wipe. If there was some reason that's making you wipe, you can carry on doing it for the next week. It's not a problem. Do you understand the value of the point? So that's the class position. Um, we mentioned last week that in the translation, or two, two sessions ago, we mentioned that in the translation that the Arabic has, uh, we put the English... Uh, the other way around um, to the to the to the Arabic because in the Arabic, okay, fi hadathin asghar is the last statement on the sentence. But when we translated it into English, 
we mention it as the first thing because that's how it reads better in English. Alright, we talked about that, alright? During minor ritual impurity. So what are we just saying? Everything that we've talked about so far is only referring to minor ritual impurity. Okay? Only minor ritual impurity. So what is the um, what's the evidence for that? Okay. First of all, let's 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 just define what what minor ritual impurity is. We're talking ritual means spiritual impurity. We're not talking about dirt. Yes, there's two types of impurity: spiritual, ritual impurity. Small state, asghar and akbar. Asghar is when you you know you go to sleep and stuff like that, go to the toilet. Akbar is after sexual relations. Is that clear? Those are the two different types. And the evidence, okay, uh, that they are that all of the things that we just mentioned, the amama, the khimar, the khuf, uh, the socks, and all of this. All of this are only wiped during minor ritual impurity because during a bath, it has to be removed. All of them. Huh? You can't have a bath and have any of these on and wipe in that area. What's the evidence for this? The hadith of Safwan ibn Asal, the hadith of, of Safwan ibn Asal, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, Amarna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ida kunna safran. And this hadith has been narrated by Imam Ahmed and Imam Al-Nasa'i and it is a hadith which has been authenticated by Imam Al-Tirmidhi and Ibn Khuzayma and Ibn Hibban and Imam Al-Nawawi and Ibn Hajar and those are under notes 3. The translation of this hadith is that Safwan Ibn Asad he said, radiallahu anhu the Messenger of Allah commanded us that when we are on our travels, that we do not remove our leather socks for three days and three nights, except if we are in a state of Janaba. Except if we are in a state of Janaba, sexual impurity. So, i.e., i.e., this is still the hadith continuing. I.e., uh, I don't even know how you translate this here, but I.e., a number two, a number one, and sleep. Okay? That's the polite way that I can think it. Right? The other way is to say either from defecation, i.e., from i.e., after defecation, after urination, after sleeping. Alright? So, this is his, what he's trying to say is that when we are on our journeys, we do not need to remove that which we'll wipe on, okay? When we go to the number two, when we go for number one, and when we go to sleep, we don't need to remove them. The only time that we do need to remove them is when we have to do, when we have janaba, i.e. we need to do a full body bath. Okay, folks? Yeah? So, um, so, Sheikh uh, Uthameen, he wants to make a summary here. He says, it's become clear now that when it comes to the um, these three things which are wiped upon, leather socks, the turban, and the uh, the the khimar, um, that there are there are lots of conditions, and these conditions fall into various categories. Conditions which all of them agree on, meaning they're the same for each category, and conditions which are specific to only one of those three, and and conditions which differ amongst all of them. And so he lists them now. He goes, condition number one, that they are all only wiped in Hadith al-Asghar. What is that referring to? 
Condition number one, that they all are wiped in al-hadath al-asghar. What's hadath al-asghar? Minor ritual impurity. So this condition applies to which of the three wiped items? Question is not clear? The question again, okay, what we said is that when we look at turbans, khimar, and the socks, they all have various conditions for the validity of wiping over them. These conditions either fall into three categories. Either all of them apply to the three items, the condition yani, is applicable in all three, I mean, or that condition is only found in one of those items, or the condition differs amongst the three items. Okay, so let's work this out. The first example of a condition is that they are wiped on only during al-hadath al-asqar, during minor ritual impurity. Is this something which is specific to one? Is it something which differs between them all, or is it applies to all of them? Good. So it applies to all of them. Well done. The second is that whatever is worn, and yakun al-malbus tahiran, that that which is worn and wiped over, it needs to be pure, clean. Same meaning all of them? We agree? Yeah. What about this khuf? This khuf, how can the khuf be clean? Your people are walking around in that khuf, no? Khuf is going to be uh, uh, dirty, no? Walking around in the sand outside and in the streets. See, the boys got there before the girls, you see? Well done. This is talking about tahir. It's not talking about yani nadif. We're not talking about yani mud is dirt from a dirt point of view. But mud is the most purest thing there is on the planet, man, after water. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, use this yani sa'i tayyib. Yani use the, this pure earth. Right? So mud is dirty, but it's not impure. And that's why we said tahir, yes? So tahir means purity. So when, when the opposite of impurity is not dirty. The opposite, sorry, the opposite of purity is not dirty. The opposite of purity is impurity, i.e. pig, pig skin, and, and that which has najasa on it, that which has, you know, urine on it or something like that. That's what we're talking about. But being dirty because it's got sweat on it, grease marks on it, because it's got dirt on it. This is not, this is dirty. But it's not impure. Does that make sense, everybody? Yes. Very important that you keep that in mind. This is a, a, a key theme that we've been talking about for the last, like, you know, two years now of, uh, of LP. That wudu, as I've always said, is not something which necessarily cleans you. A lot of people go in there with lots of water and soap and whatever. You need to remember that if you want to be clean, go and take a shower with a shower gel. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Ghusl and wudu are not too cleansing procedures you use very small water yeah, anyone's, you saw the video right yes. right you saw the amount of water I did it with right by the way can I, can I have some love for that video <laughs> you know what I'm saying that was a sick video no yeah oh my days and by the way I honored you lot man I did that here by the way 
You know what I'm saying? I, I could have chosen any location on this planet to record that video, okay? Yet history was made. The first televised, yani live televised rendition of wudu with literally like this much water, right? That's how much water it was, huh? You remember that, huh? Their live did it in KL in... What was the name of that machine? Yeah, KLCC. Yeah? KLCC? The one next to the... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, next to the Twin Towers thing, yeah? Petronas Towers. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Just trying to say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. The third condition. أَنْ يَكُونَ مُبَاحًا That the thing is permissible. What does that mean? What does that mean, that the thing is permissible? The U.S. is not stolen. Okay? Because obviously, you know, I, I mean, we talked about that before. Is that a problem if something is stolen? Does it affect the actual purification or not? We put our opinion forward that actually it's valid to wipe on a stolen khuf. It's a bit flipping low doing that, yeah? You're not much of a man or woman, yeah, and you're nicking someone's khuf and then wiping on it, yeah? But is the wiping valid? Is it independent of the act itself? There is a khilaf amongst the scholars. I think it's permissible without wanting to say that too much yeah, in case people get ideas, you know what I'm saying? So, but this condition, assuming that it's not right, okay, which is the majority position, is this for all or one or many or what? It's a condition for all of them. Very good. Okay, the fourth condition. That it's worn whilst in a state of purification. That it's worn whilst in a state of purification. Socks only for the khimar and for the for the turban. No evidence for that. Good. Okay. And number five, that the wiping only can last for a set period of time. Socks only. Very good. Okay. That's good. And of course, we talked about the different differences. Uh, in the uh, and we, there are some differences of opinion. Okay, what about in terms of conditions that the people differed over with respect to them? Anyone can guess one? A condition that applies to some and, and, and doesn't apply to others? And I'm not talking from a tall position, I'm talking from just a school position, humbly official madhab position. Think outside the box. What do you think would be a condition on one of them which is not a condition on the others? Just think about the sock itself. It's an easy way of looking at it. Or think about the imama and think, yeah, that's got to be a condition for that. But is it a condition for that? Contact with the skin? Is that even a condition for any of them? That's actually not a bad point. I never thought of that before. You could maybe argue that having to be in contact with the skin would be a condition for the headscarf and the turban because that would be the kind of thing that would be on. Whereas it could be argued, it could be argued that when it comes to wiping over a sock, and considering that we also allow wiping over a shoe, alright, that a shoe is not always going to be in full contact with the foot in all places. It could also be argued back that no, of course it is, and any small areas 
where it's not in full contact is something which is insignificant anyway. So it's, that's why it's not been mentioned. But just think about the conditions of wiping over a hoof or wiping over one of these and then you'll see straight away. What's the condition that, that, that applies to some, one and, or some and doesn't apply to the others? Uh, okay, hoof is, but then we also allow it to be on socks. So that's not going to be a, that's not going to be the one. Okay, the answer is that the uh, as the madhahib have said made very very clear is that the hoof must completely what cover the area of the washing. Agreed? Does that have to be the case for the imama? Can it even be? How can you have a turban which covers the entire part? And how would we then reconcile that with the fact that the Prophet ﷺ wiped on of his head, which I showed last week in the pictures, you know that triangle shape on the photos. So that's not covering that part, and he wiped over that, and then he wiped over the rest of the turban, right? And we also know that a turban is going to leave some space here and some space there, isn't it? So that's a condition which they differed over, for example, alright? Um, and okay, some obvious ones. There's a condition for the imama, which is specific to it. What is that condition? Think, think, think laterally. Think obvious. Remember, the most, uh, the most simplest answer is the most correct answer most of the time. What's the condition for imama? Think of the text. It's so obvious that you're, you're, you're not saying it because it's so obvious. Correct. Well said. It's that obvious. The imama must be for males. It can't be a woman wearing an imama. Remember we talked about that last week? Or the two sessions ago, right? We said, what if a woman, she's at home, or she needs to go out, it's an emergency, and she puts her imama on for some reason. <laughs> yes? So what we said, if you remember what we said, if, that if there was an emergency, a genuine emergency, she's afraid of something or harm or whatever, it's allowed for her to do that. Otherwise, it would be haram for her to go out like that, right? But we allow her to put the imama on, but we would not allow her to have the concession of wiping it because she's not wearing it in the normal wiping kind of state. She's wearing it in an emergency state almost. Does that make sense? Yeah? Um, and likewise, the khimar is conditioned. It's upon a woman. And not upon some dodgy kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Right. So now let's move to the, what, uh, the next page. Page three. All right? So... The uh, Arabic, as we mentioned last, last, last session, the English translation now again, during major impurity, one can also wipe over a splint that covers the minimum area necessary only until it is no longer needed. And, and, and then all of the above, uh, is, as we just mentioned right now, all of the above is upon the condition that they are worn after the completion of wudu. And now we've already told you that we, we disagree with that point with respect to the turban and the, and the khimar. I want to say that all the way up until now, everything could be wiped on only in a state of minor ritual impurity. Now we're in a new section. What if you are now fully impure, requiring a ghusl? Well, basically now the text is saying, sorry, you can't wipe, you're going to have to wash your hair, wash your feet, wash yani, no khimars, no nothing, okay? Shower caps, that's the same thing, right? Okay, can't have any of that. Now you've got to wash it full. But there is one exception, and that's the Jabira. Now the Jabira, okay, is um, a splint. What is a splint? You know what a splint is? 
A splint is basically a cast, right? So by cast, well, it's not a cast actually, but um, if you break if you break your bone and you get the wood, that's called the splint. The wood is put against it, and then we wrap the wood around the plank or the whatever it is, and that keeps the, the thing straight. And that will allow the you know the thinking of A level biology now. The um, the healing process. <laughs> I like it. No, what is it? The callus. Callus? The soft parts of the broken hinge of the bone? That they will then fuse together? Yeah? Nice. Right, so so yeah, they will they will they will uh, you, that, that's what that's what a splint is. Obviously nowadays no one uses a splint, we use plaster. Right? So today so so previously we are talking that this ruling came down with respect to a splint. Today, that ruling is extended to plaster casts, okay? In the plaster cast, you're not going to get to the water. You're not going to get to the, 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 the limb. So how are you going to wash it, okay? And I want you to understand that the whole chapter is referring to lack of access. At the same time, folks, really, it's about, it's about harm as well. It's not just about lack of access. It's about causing harm to the healing process. And so this, therefore, means that we extend this to the issue of wounds as well. So if someone has a wound or some kind of rash, a very bad one or something like that, then uh, this comes under this ruling. But it has specific characteristics which we need to cover. There's different conditions for things which are covered and not covered. Let, let's, 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 let's cover that. Let's go through that now. Okay? So, um, so it is permissible to wipe over the, 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 the splint or the plaster as long as you do not go over the specific area. Is that clear? You must stay within the defined area. It's not permissible to use this concession for the entire arm if, for example, you only have a splint here on the wrist. Not only, not only that, but you have to wash right up to the edge. Basically, whatever the doctor has specified as this is the area I don't want getting wet, then that is the only area that you are allowed to wipe. And the rest has to be washed. The, the, the rest has to be washed. Now, so what the Sheikh says is that if there is a plaster cast or a plaster or a bandage which is covering an area, the area, the problem area, more than what is the problem area, you get what I'm saying? So we'll assume it's a bandage, and in an extreme case, we'll assume it's a plaster, which is coming all the way up to here, but the broken part is only this part here. What happens then? So Shekhar mean he says that what you do is you take off whatever is extra, okay, and you wash that area. But if taking it off will cause a harm, okay, If taking it off is will cause a harm, or it's not possible because it's plaster, you can't just, you know, it's obviously it's plaster, it's set. Then some of the ulama, they said that what happens is you do the wiping on the, the cast, the splint, and for the rest of the limb, you have to make tayammum. This is a very popular position in the madahib. Now just wait. It's a very famous and very well-known one. The idea basically is 
that you will make wudu for every part that you can make wudu. You will wipe for the places that you are allowed to wipe. And those areas which you are not allowed to, because the, the, the pain is not there or the problem is not there, you have to replace it with something else. And you're replacing it with tiyam. And this is the position of a number of the scholars and that has been narrated in Al-Insan. As for Shaykh Uthameen's opinion, and this is our talk position and our class position, وَالْرَاجِحُ That the authentic and the correct position is that tayammum is not something which is introduced. لِأَنَّهُ لَمَّا كَانْ He goes that the second that the extended area could not be removed because of the difficulty or the harm to the the second that that was established it takes the ruling of the damaged area so therefore the entire limb is wiped do you understand so in my example here if I had a bandage if I had a massive cut here massive cut there my bandage goes starts from here for some reason. Maybe he says, I can't put pressure on it. I've got to put pressure here and then loose here and then pressure. I don't know. Yeah. And if I take it off here, I'm going to cause some kind of problem. I'm allowed to wipe on the whole lot. There is no tayammu. Does that make sense, everybody? <coughs> and the reason there's no tayammu is because there's no evidence to suggest that that tayammu needs to be the replacement uh, for, the, for the unhurt area. Someone give me some more water. <coughs> Is that what was it? Me? Me? What did we just eat? Mo? Me? Me. It's killed me. Cussing. <coughs> For everyone watching live, they just fed me semia. They, they fed me. They fed me spicy semia. It was hot, man. It was, it was hot. Of course it was, man. You don't, you don't eat fire, that's different. You lot all Komodo dragons or whatever. <coughs> when I saw that, ver, I think, they, ver, vermicelli, I think they call it? Vermicelli? Or is it vermicelli? Okay, I don't know. You have sir and your chair, that's something else. But vermicelli, to be honest, is only ever served uh, thingy. Sweet. That was sweet. That was about as sweet as durian, that's what it was. <laughs> Seriously, I was way too spicy and it just completely just destroyed my throat and everything. <coughs> it was okay, alhamdulillah. Uh, <laughs> right. So basically, in Tiyamum, we don't have, we don't have a Tiyamum for the extra area, alright? we will wipe over the entire area. So, uh, um, so let's, just, let's just summarize that point. We have an arm, we have a problem with this arm. We have, the whole arm has been hurt in some kind of manner, okay? Let's just assume they're at the wrist to make it easier. If the arm has been hurt at the wrist, it's bandaged exactly in that area. We will wash this hand. This hand's gonna get wet anyway because it's washing whatever. And we'll wash this hand and then we won't touch that. We'll just wipe over that with the left hand and we'll wash the rest. Okay? And what else can we do, which is really useful, that we learn? We can dry this immediately. 
Remember that? In, we covered this in the lesson, obviously, quite a few months back. But just as a question, according to Malay culture, uh, I'm guessing that you would never, ever dry anything in the middle of wudu, right? You wouldn't, would you? Would you not do it thinking that it would invalidate it? Meaning that you think that if it had to happen, then fair enough, but we just don't do it. Fair enough. Yeah, so what we're saying is that it's allowed. Once you've washed it, you can dry it. And I, I say that because if you, if you then lift your hand up and the water starts to go down, it's pretty pointless, isn't it? So you might not do that. You might, I don't know, you might just keep your arm like that or something, yeah? <laughs> Waiting until the end. I'm saying don't do that. Just, just dry your hand. Yeah? You've done your washing. So that's the first scenario. The second scenario is that the entire arm has been covered by a bandage, but it's only this part which is hurt. But the reason that bandage is there is there because the doctor wants it. That's scenario two. Here, we will wipe over the whole thing. Third scenario is that this part is still hurt and the entire bandage is all over because your mum did it, yeah? <laughs> you know, when your mum does it, she just goes. <laughs> it's such a nice shape to go in and out. You see? <laughs> and you go all the way up there and then you come back around just to go up there again. <laughs> you'd have thought you'd give them an opportunity to move, but no, right? It's looking around like that. So, we have a scenario where someone's just got a bit carried away. Here, here we have to remove the bandage because there's no yani, matlab yani, there's no ma and I know of meaning behind it other than your mum's yani nonsense yani, yeah? <laughs> Alright. The fourth scenario, here's one I've just thought of outside, oh, you know, top of my head. Your entire arm is gone. Okay? So what happens here then? So the whole arm, the whole arm is done. Is it uh, all hurt, all bandaged? So what happens with this now? What happens? How are we gonna make wudu? Okay, what about the rest of wudu? Running water, excellent. Well done. That's exactly what would happen. You would literally just put your hand in. You would just get that and do this, yeah? You'd wipe and clean with the left hand, yeah? You'd wipe with one hand, that's be allowed. Do you understand? Feet just... <laughs> yeah? You know, if you wanted to get down there, whatever, and he doesn't, and he won't have a heart attack going down, then that's, <laughs> that's something which is allowed as well. Okay? All right, good. So... Um, So next, next, next point then. Alright? So it's just making it very, very clear that, um, that you can wipe over the splint even in a, uh, even when you need to uh, do a full ghusl. Now that's a shock, isn't it? Okay? Is this a shock just to you or was this a shock to other people as well? Is it a shock to you? Is it a shock to you that you do not have to remove your plaster or your bandage when having a full bath from, from Janaba? Is it a shock to you? Okay. Was it a shock to anyone special before you? Obviously, I'm trying to push you somewhere, yeah? I'm <laughs> not really working at the moment. It's okay. We've got lots of time. 
The night is but young. Anyone? Of course it was a shock. Well, kinda, kinda. Um, there was, of course, this was a shock to one of the companions, of course. And this is a very famous incident. And they call it hadith, uh, hadith uh, the hadith of a shajja or sahib shajja. This is the famous hadith which we've all heard. And I say it's popular hadith because it's got a shocking story, a shocking ending. And probably even more shocking reality that the hadith is not as authentic as people made it or thought to be. The hadith in its... Um, basically, some companions went out on a military expedition. And one of them, he was hurt. Okay, meaning that he had a wound of some sort. A significant one. Which was covered in a way and it had to be made sure that it didn't get wet. So when he woke up one morning outside... He had had a wet dream. And so it was obligatory upon him to do to do ghusl. So he said the water is freezing cold. Okay, freezing cold, and it's gonna cause harm for me. And I I you know I can't think about that. And so he made tiyamun. He made tiyamun because he he literally feared that he would die if he had done the ghusl. And he went to one of the companions there and he said to him. Um, he said to him Is this sufficient for me What I did yani I made tayammum Is that okay And he said to him How can tayammum be okay After you have done After you need to make ghusl Go and take a full bath Okay And of course he did And he died Okay He died as a result Now First of all, I wanted to stop right there and say, uh, in terms of references, this hadith has been narrated, um, and it's there, page two, uh, 244, footnote 1. Hadith has been narrated by Imam Abu Dawood, um, and Imam Adar al-Qutni as well, and narrated by Imam al-Bayhaqi as well. And Ibn Sakan said the hadith is authentic, and Ibn al-Mulaqin said that its men are trustworthy, and Abu Bakr ibn Abi Dawood, he said that this hadith has not been narrated um, uh, as as people narrated, i.e., on the authority of Atta and Jabir and Zubair ibn Khuraid, and this hadith has not been reported that way, and it is not a str- not a strong chain. And uh, Imam al-Bayhaqi said more than that. He said not just a chain. He goes, the hadith is not strong, which is an even bigger statement. And Abdul Haq al-Shbili, he said this hadith has never been narrated in a strong, definite manner. And Imam al-Nawawi also made this hadith weak. Imam al-Nawawi considered this hadith to be weak. And Imam ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, he said that this hadith has been narrated by Imam Abu Dawood with a weak chain. And there is a difference of opinion considering its narrators. And there are a number of, uh, you can see that on Mumtaq 244 references there for all of the quotes that I just mentioned. Um, Sheikh al-Albani considered this hadith to be sahih right up to where I just stopped. Right up to where I just stopped. Um, and there's been a much difference of opinion. In summary, I want to say to you that the story itself is not the weakest in the world. And the statements that come after do have quite a lot of weakness in it. Is it the weakest hadith in the world? No. Is there some basis for it? Yes. 
Does Sheikh Uthameen consider that to be enough there for him to use as a statement now? Yes. Okay? And I think the majority of the fuqaha use this hadith as some kind of evidence to ensure that it is permissible to wipe over one's uh, area, whatever, or to not have to have a ghusl if there's a need, basically. Alright? They use this hadith as an evidence. Because what happened next is very shocking. The Prophet ﷺ, when he heard about this by from someone else, he said, May Allah kill them. They killed him. They killed him. May Allah kill them. In the su'al, um, that indeed, the and this, this is a narration which has this addition, each statement that is said more and more and more has more and more doubt over it. Just so that you know. But one of the most famous statements of this statement that I just said is probably the most famous statement. They killed him. May Allah kill killed them. This has difference of opinion. The next statement which he said, he said, indeed the the cure for ignorance is the question. And if you don't know, just ask. Okay? Don't go and just give the fatwa like this companion did. He didn't know, and he just said to him, No, you can't do it. He should have checked with someone senior if he doesn't know. Right? And so, um, and anyway, and, and the and then the, 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 the version which inshallah has some yani, some space, Allah alam, even though this statement also they differed over its authenticity, is his statement in the mechanic fihi that it was sufficient for him to make tayammum because of the cold water. And as for the area of the uh, the, the thing, the uh, wound, he could just put a bandage around it and he could have wiped over that. That's also fine as well. These were the two options that were open for him. And so these were the two things that were given, as I said, as an option. And this person, this companion can take it and he died as a result. So this is... Uh, uh, and this hadith, of course, is talking about a person who is in Hadith al-Akbar. He was in Sittu Janaba. How uh, long was that time situation? Anyone count or see or anything? Uh, this session has now gone on for how long? This particular session? No, I don't think so. Has it? Are you sure? Are you just it? Okay. Um... So what are, we, what are we trying to prove? We're trying to prove that it is permissible to do what? To wipe over a splint or a plaster in a uh, in uh, Janaba, right? In the Hadith al-Akbar. This is the first evidence. Are you happy with that? And I'll just quickly quote the rest of the evidences. The, the, second, the, the second evidence is that wiping over something uh, like a splint is allowed because of the necessity and the necessity and a necessity there is no differentiation between minor ritual impurity and major ritual impurity if a necessity is there it's there it's used in all cases that's the second evidence it's a principle okay the third principle is that any part which is obligatory to wash and which is covered okay for a reason then it is permissible to wipe over it, such as the socks. So any part of the body which is obligatory to wash and it is covered for some reason, it is, of, it is permissible to wipe over it like the socks. The fourth uh, uh, reason why it's permissible to wipe over a plaster in 
Hadith al-Akbar as well, is that wiping is actually an act of worship. There, wiping is not some kind of uh, 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 some kind of like uh, um, it's not like some kind of sellout, whatever. It's an act of worship. You either wash, and if you're not able to wash, then you wipe. And if you're not able to wipe, then you make the emu. This is like a structured process. It is actually an act of worship that you get rewarded for with the right um, evidence. The fifth uh, position, the fifth uh, reason why you, one should do that, why a wipe over is and not and, and is wiping is better than doing tiyamum. Tiyamum is a process where the hands still get dirty, whereas wiping is still using water, and water is more purer than earth. So if you do have a splint, you should wipe the body or a plaster, and you should wipe over the, the, the actual area that one needs. Okay? There are some of the ulama that said it is not permissible to wipe over the jabirat. They said it's not permissible. And what happens in that case? What happens in that case? Those people who said it's not permissible to wipe over a jabira, they said that because there's no evidence to show it. There's no uh, text from the Prophet. So what did they do? They said every hadith is weak, which is a strong argument. Every hadith which talks about the wiping over a splint or a plaster is weak. So how are you going to... They say he's not allowed to wipe. So what do they say then? No? 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 Making tiyamun. Okay? That's what they say. You make tiyamun. Okay? You make tiyamun. Um... And that is, the, that is their position. And there is another position as well. There is another position on all of the, And this is this has all been collected by Ibn Hazm. And I have a feeling Ibn Hazm himself might have even held this position. That a person, he doesn't do tiyamum. And he doesn't even uh, uh, wipe it. Nothing happens to that area. So the rest of the body is washed. And that area is untouched. Sheikh Uthameen says, this is the weakest of all the statements. This is the weakest of all the statements. You can't just leave the area and just ignore it. Either you make tayammum at least as a result yani of, of replacing it, and that's weak, he doesn't like that. Or you do what has come to us via hadith, even though they're a bit weak, and what has come to us via qiyas, and what we know for certainty that wiping is an act of worship, and that is that you wipe over the area. And that is the correct position, and it is the position of this uh, class. And... One final question, which is an interesting one, okay. Um, is it possible to actually combine between wiping and tayammum in a certain area? This idea that if you have a, a hand, okay, you wipe over this part and here because you can't reach it or whatever reason, you make tayammum for this part, yeah? Is that something which is permissible? Some of the ulama, they said, you must do it. You must do both of them out of ihtiyat, uh, out of... Safety, right? because we're not sure. So basically what's happened here is that we're not going to wash the entire arm. So we should really then do tiyammum to cover the entire wudu, but we'll dedicate that to just this limb. And we'll wipe just over this part. But as Sheikh Luthaymi, he says that no, it is that, that, that the correct position is that you do not combine between both of them. Okay? You do not combine between both of them because... Those people who said that that it's obligatory to, to make tayammum, they don't say it's obligatory to make to wipe. And those who said that it is obligatory to wipe, 
they said it's not obligatory to make tayammum. So why are the two being combined in the same uh, limb when basically one is obligatory and one is not, and one is obligatory and one is not? It makes no sense to combine between the two. So, inshallah, and I guess this is the other thing that I wanted to, um, I wanted to just mention. And this is what we'll close on. A wound is either going to be covered or open. What we've been talking about so far has been covered. So what about if it's open? If a wound is open, for in if it is uncovered, it is obligatory to wash that. Okay? What wash wash that wound? Is that clear? Now we know that you're not allowed to wash a wound in certain cases because that's going to mess it up. So what happens now? So if you wash around the area, what are you doing? It's all nice and easy when we think about it being covered, right? What has been our conclusion? Our conclusion is that you wipe over it, wash any other area. If the whole area is you know, covered, then we wipe over the entire area. So everyone's happy with that, yes? So now let's ask the real question. You've got a major kickoff kind of you know, burn or a cut. You can't put any water near it. What do you do? The reason you know wrapping it is because you've been told not wrap it. <laughs> so look, yeah, you're not allowed to you're not allowed to wrap it because the doctor said. You're not allowed to wash it because the doctor said. So what we heard there was to wash all around it, yeah? What did we just say about that a minute ago? In another scenario. Now, what did we say about this concept of, of, of washing around something? What we just said is that this is the weakest of all the statements, right? Because it's, it's just ignoring it. You're ignoring the area. You're just, you're just imagining it doesn't exist. You're looking at it and just saying, you know, it's there, right? When you're washing around it, right? So what, what, so what, what should we do? Tayammum, <coughs> correct. Here is where tayammum is now legislated. So for here, we will make tayammum because we can't allow the water to touch it. So what will happen here? You will wash. And Sheikh Uthameen says, okay, وَإِن كَانَ مَسْطُورًا بِمَا يَسُوبَ سِتْرُهُ بِهِ فَلَيْسَ بِهِ إِلَّا الْمَسْفَقَدْ Okay. And for in other rules, Masma'a Kauni Hemasturan, okay. Kamalu Kana Makshufan Adama Dakra Fukahara Mahullah. Basically, we can conclude that if there is a a area, okay, which has been hurt and is covered, all you need to do in that entire area is wipe and nothing else. If that area is uncovered and it can't have water to go on there then we make tayammum. And if there is some easy space above and beyond which can be washed, then that can be washed as well. But the tayammum is done badlan, as a badan, for washing in that specific area. The only reason that is happening is why? There's a, I, want to, I want to hear a specific statement. The only reason we are making tayammum on this limb is because... No, no. 
No, you be gone because we can't wipe it. Remember that when it comes to the tartib, what is the tartib? What is the order? Washing, wiping, tayammum. Alright? So as long as you remember that in your mind and apply it to everything, you'll always be safe. So you only basically use tayammum when you're unable to do the wiping. And if it's open, then that's, that's what it is. Alright? So that's what we're going to do for today, uh, for today's session. Um, and now we'll take some questions, inshallah. Yeah. At the back post, yeah. Huh? Same thing. Oh, was it tayammum aggravates it? Oh, right, right. Let me just make it clear. Sorry. I mean, obviously, we've got tayammum coming later, right? Um, and it has its own rules and so on. But I just want to make it clear that the top position of this class will be, according to the Quran and Sunnah and the position of the majority of the ulama, is that tayammum is only a hands and face. If you're thinking two potential things, one, that you will wipe the area with dust, or you will do this at least, okay, then that is the position of some of the fuqaha. There's no evidence for that. Okay, there's no evidence for that, and we're going to discuss that in detail. It goes back down to what does hand mean. It's interesting, right? Remember, we, so far, for wudu, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, wash your, and what's a hand? These. What do we wash? What do we wash? Do we wash our hands? What do we wash? Does it say that in the ayah? No. Right? But it describes it, doesn't it? It says, Until the elbows. Okay? Yet Allah calls it a hand. Yet we have a name for this area as well. But it's not been used. So for wudu, we took the meaning of the word hand and extended it to its maximum. So now, we are going to do something the opposite. When it comes to tayammum, we're going to take the meaning of the word hand and we're going to restrict it to hand only. The other ulama are going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. <coughs> you extended it all the way to the arms when it suited you for wudu. But now when it comes to tayammum, you're saying, no, no, only the hands. So there's going to be an argument and we're going to have to debate that. Do you understand? So that's what's going to happen when we come to chapter tayammum in about six years' time. Right? <laughs> okay. So... That's the only that. But I'm saying the one who makes tayammum, it is strike the, ha- the, the floor once, strike once, and it's obligatory meaning, okay? This and that, and khalas. That's tayammum. So first of all, that's done. Secondly, there is no process of tayammum which involves wiping any area with dirt. Or if you're thinking like, for example, I've, I've got cut on my foot, and then you kind of wipe it with dirt or something. That's not tayammum. <laughs> just in case. Because you just you never know. I'm just saying, yeah? So that's what I mean by tayammum. Now, I thought you were going to ask a much more... I thought you were asking a more difficult question, which is that you're allergic even touching the dust. And that's a whole different category. I would respond to that, that actually what you're allergic to needs to be uh, specified. Are you allergic to mud or clay or dirt? Or are you allergic to dust? Because if you are allergic to what we would normally use outside tapping the floor, right, then you could then literally... A tap a, 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 a concrete wall and ha- use pure dust or a brick for example or a brick floor and if that didn't work then you could use a wall which has even got plaster which creates some kind of residue and if that failed then even this for example after a day or two it will have dust on it 
Any surface that produces... Is that not good to say, yeah? <laughs> Let's wait. Let's think about this. There's two states that this can be in. Up or folded. So? Because you're, you're laughing at me, so I need to stop and think now. Alright? So... If I was insulting, if this is up for a long time, that's when it has dust on it, yes? yes. And you, I said this will have dust, which means that that's something bad I said, it said against the poster, which would mean that it has been up for a long time. The question that needs to be asked is that what is wrong with it being up for a long time? It should be the exact opposite. If this was clean, it means it's packed in its thing and not being used. <laughs> so actually, me saying it has got dust on it is a sign of honor and respect. <laughs> yeah? Alright. Just as long as we cleared that up, you know what I'm saying? I have reputation, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm the fifth teacher here, you know what I'm saying? Yes. No? Yes. Good. Good, good, good. So now that's a much more kind of, you know, a scenario where actually nothing can be touched. If nothing can be touched, then a person will come and then do it for them, okay? And will be a, a, a deputizer for them. If a person can't touch anything of any sort, then the, the obligation has been lifted from them. Just the intention is done for them. Okay? Oh, sorry. Just they make their own intention. Alright? If someone is around with them at the time and can wash parts of the body which are not burned, then this is, this is even better. But we give the answer based upon no one else being around. So if a person couldn't touch anything at all, they can't touch water, can't touch any surface, then Allah has lifted the obligation from them. But if another person was there and said, I will wash these areas that, I, that can be washed, then this is a sadaqah from that person. Yeah. Yeah. Does it invalidate the wudu? If the wudu is taken on the imam or the imam? Why must we take it off? All right. So the question is, is that is the wudu invalidated if we take off the turban or the or the headscarf at any time? The answer to that is, I mean, the, the reason the question is an interesting one is because, um, well, well, I'll show you why it's interesting. First of all, no. And, there, and the reason it's easy for us to know that is because we've got no evidence to, number one. And number two, this is the exact reason why we said there's no condition to put it on when there is purity or anything like that. Okay? But more fundamentally, the reason you ask this question is because there is a common question asked about the hoof. If we take the hoof off or the sock off, does it break the wudu? And we covered that a couple of weeks ago, and the answer is that no. It has no impact upon the breaking of wudu. It all, the only thing that happens when you take off your sock or whatever is that you've just lost the ability to wipe on it if you put it back on again. So if you took it off and then suddenly put it back on again, you can't wipe on it. You have to wash your feet first and then put it back on again. But does it break wudu? No. And this is the position of the majority of the ulama. Alright? Okay, so we call that a session inshallah and uh, we will...
Um, and then, yeah, just preparing for the next one. Jazakum Allah, Subhanakallah, Wa Bihamdik, Shadu Allah, Ilayla, 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 